So we are working through verse by verse the letter of Galatians, and we are up to chapter 3 and a little bit into chapter 4 this morning. That uh, can be found um, in your pew Bible, or it'll be up on the screen behind me. We're going to start at verse 26 of Galatians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord, these ancient words. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So September 10th, 2006 is a day that I will never forget because it was my wedding day. And weddings are very fun. All the festivities and the, the ceremony where you commit your life to, to one another. But even all the leading up to it and all the after is, is really fun too because you're, you know, you're applying for a license you're, you know, putting all these things together. You're working with the, with the pastor. And then afterwards, you know, uh, a lot of times uh, the woman will take, you know, the last name or now there's hyphenated or uh, my friend in Germany even took his wife's name. I'm not sure how that happened, but that's okay too. Um, the point is that we take a new name, really. But you get new, new social security cards. You get, you know, new driver's license. The bank accounts, you combine those, the way you file your taxes, the way, the way that people look at you, it's just different. It's just different because you're a couple and you're, you're a unit. And people say, okay, well, there's the Andersons over there. And there is, there's a oneness there. There's a togetherness because you've been, you've been knit together. You've committed your lives to each other. And it's not, it's no wonder that the Bible uses this metaphor of marriage, you know, really from beginning to end of this is the way that I relate to you. You know, Jesus relates to his, his church as his bride, the people. And, and even the end of the story, you know, the end of Revelation is this wedding feast of the Lamb where the church, <laughs> you know, we've been wiped away of all of our sins. We've been given a new life, and, and we come spotless to Jesus, and we're joined to him. 
Jesus talked about people becoming one in marriage. And Paul uses that same language here in Galatians 3, verse 28. He says that despite all your differences, despite all these identities that you have, you're one. You're one in Christ Jesus. You're together. You're one. And this morning, I really want to draw out this verse because it has so many applications for our life today. This verse, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have a new identity. We have a new identity because we are one in Christ Jesus. That is the primary identity of of a Christian, of a follower of Christ. And so let's just kind of break that down a little bit into two parts. we'll, We'll look at this new identity that we have, and then we'll look at the second half. You know, it's not just an identity for identity's sake, but it's an identity because we're one in Christ Jesus. So let's think through both of those. So first, we... We have this new identity. And the, the first thing that we need to do is we need to understand this verse in its context. Because if we, if we miss that, we misinterpret it and mis, misapply it. So what has Paul been saying this entire book, you know, these, these three chapters now? He's been saying that salvation is by works. That it's not something that's earned. And so you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to do anything else to make God pleased with you. That Jesus has already done that and opened up the way for his people. And so this, this conversation and this verse and this new identity, it fits within that. He says it's, it's a gift. You've been given this. You, you are... You're in Christ. And he says that five different times in these short verses, these three short verses. This new identity, this new identity, you are in Christ. Verse 26, for in Jesus Christ you are all children of God. Verse 27, twice, you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. Verse 28, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then verse 29, he says it again. It's a possessive. Now, if, if you are Christ, then you're part of Abraham's seed. You're, you, are, you belong to him. Again, we can think about it with that, with that marriage metaphor. Um, you know, she's no longer, when I married my wife, she was no longer Lily Schwering. She's Lily Armstrong takes on this, this new um, name, this new identity. And, it, and that can even, you know, what Paul is saying here, it can give us this new definition of growth and maturity. We're always asking that. Well, how do you grow as a Christian? How do you mature? How do you become more and more who God wants you to be? You put off the old self and you put on the new self. You die away to all the old stuff and the old life. And you put on Christ. You live into your new, your new name. Just, uh, you know, I said this last Sunday night, talking about, you know, when we, when we 
put on Christ. We, we put on the, uh, the clothing of Christ. We, you know, we, we wrap ourselves up into him. We, we, uh, we put on Christ and his righteousness. And he's saying, okay, these identities that, that you have, they, they are okay, they're fine, but don't make it your number one identity. Don't make it the one thing that defines you. Because that's, that's how they identified people back then in Paul's time. By their race, by their employment, you know, whether they were free or slave, and by their gender. And what do we do today, 2,000 years later? Hi, I'm Pete. I'm, you know, a white male. I'm, I'm Greek, ethnicity. I'm male. I'm a pastor. Nice to meet you. I mean, this is the, the way that we, that we are identified. That's what we, the first thing that we say. When I was signing Silas up for kindergarten, we had to fill out these forms. I mean, 20 different times they ask you, you know, what's your gender? What's your ethnicity? What, uh, you know, what do you identify as? What, you know, they even ask you, how much do you make? And where do you live? And all this kind of stuff. It's like, gosh, they wanted to know every single detail of my life. But it's, those things that we, that we mark ourselves by, those identity markers. And Paul is saying that it's fine. They, those things don't go away, but they just get knocked down a few notches. Because your primary identity becomes, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And yes, I'm Greek. Yes, I'm Jewish. Yes, I'm male. Yes, I'm female. Whatever it is. But those aren't the things that define us. We let God define us. That's, Paul's saying, you know, there can't be this, there can't be this ranking anymore. Because whenever we talk about identity, and whenever they talked about identity, there's always this, this ranking. And the text, it literally says in Greek, there cannot be Greek you know, it's, it's kind of like this idea. There cannot be all this Greek and Jewish stuff. There cannot be all this male and female stuff. There cannot be all this slave and free stuff. And the idea that if you're Jewish and male and free, then God must have liked you more. You know, there cannot be any of that anymore. There was even... You know, I read five different commentaries in studying this verse and this passage, and none of them brought it up, but it hit me that there was a prayer that the rabbis prayed in the time of Jesus and the time of Paul. And this was the prayer translated to English. Blessed art thou, O Lord, for not making me a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Wow. What a hypocritical prayer. I could preach a whole sermon on how messed up that, that prayer is. But Paul is saying, all of that has to go away. Paul is 100% against that line of thinking, of, of thinking that we're being holy, of thinking we're being better than someone else by saying, oh, well, I'm this, and I'm that, and wow, I, I, I sure bring a lot to the table, God. So you just help me get over the finish line. Paul is saying no more of that. There cannot be Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. There cannot be those things. You cannot evaluate people on that anymore. 
Because when you're doing that, you're prejudicing them based on their race, their gender. And what is this, what is this about? What is this conversation about? Salvation. It's about salvation. He's explaining the whole thing. This whole book is about how we're saved. How we're not saved based on who we are or what we've done, but we're saved by God's grace. So Paul's saying, you know, which, which among you has earned your salvation? Have you men earned your salvation? No. Have you women earned your salvation? No. Have you Jews or you, or you Greeks earned your salvation? Have you slave or free men earned your salvation? No. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Nobody brings something to the table that makes them more likely to be saved. All are equal at the foot of the cross. And that's in all caps in my outline. So that must mean something. One of my favorite professors in seminary, Dr. B.J. Prashantham, he has 11 letters in his last name. It's amazing. He, uh, he's a, he is a counseling professor, and he's from India. He spends half his time in Seattle teaching at Fuller Seminary and half, his, half his, uh, the year in India teaching there. And he has a saying, you know, he says, in India, we say that the gospel is one blind beggar telling another where to find bread. One blind beggar telling another where to find bread. So even the most successful, even the person that checks off all the boxes, even the person that we aspire to be and that we want to be, we think, wow, they're really successful. They really have got it made. Even that person is equally in need of God's grace. We bring nothing to the table. Jesus brings everything and he saves us and rescued us, rescues us. Even, even people that are rich and famous like Mr. Kanye West. Some of you have heard of him. Some of you haven't. Some of you care. Some of you don't. But this is a big cultural moment. Uh, this is one of the most famous artists and musicians and fashion people, everything. And he has become a Christian earlier this year. And his new album that came out last Friday was called Jesus is King. And not only is it the number one selling album in the country, it's like triple everything else. 156 million streams. 170,000 albums sold in one week. And the top song is Follow God. The number two song is Closed on Sunday. (laughs) It's a song about Chick-fil-A. Kind of. I mean, it does mention Chick-fil-A. And the third song is Selah, you know, that word from the Psalms. And I watched a little video of him talking to a very famous music journalist. This video has been, built, has been viewed millions and millions of times in the last week. And he quotes verse 7. He says, I'm a son. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. And I'm in service to Christ. So Christ saves anybody. Anybody, even if you're married to a Kardashian, he can save you. All the stuff, all the stuff that we try to do to fill our longings and make ourselves happy, none of it works. Our hearts are restless until they rest in Christ. And there can't be this hierarchy. There can't be this ranking anymore. 
because we're one in Christ Jesus. And those, the distinctions don't disappear, but they just slide down the line. And our identity as a child of God, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, it becomes our primary identity. And that is so, that's so huge. It's so huge because we're living in this time where everybody is trying to discover their identity. Who am I? What am I supposed to be? And yet, the scriptures tell us that your identity is it's not so much discovered as it is accepted. God creates us, God redeems us, and he says, you're my child. You're my son, you're my daughter. I died for you, I love you unconditionally. And we get to live into that. We, we get to leave this life of of slavery, of being enmeshed in all these things and being um, stuck in our addictions and being a slave to what other people think about us and being enslaved to, to other people. And we're a child of God. There was a guy at my church growing up and he used to wear this button like every, every week. And, you know, as a teenager, I just thought it was so cheesy and so annoying. But it said, you are a child of God, and I will treat you that way. And as a 17-year-old, I was like, bleh. As a 39-year-old, I'm like, it's profound. No matter who, who, who it is, we have, we're so quick to say, oh, they're like this, they're like that. Judge people by the way that they look, instead of, you're a child of God. I'm going to treat you like that. That, um, that would make the world a much better place if we all uh, just live like that. You don't have to wear the button. You just have to live like that. We have this, we have this new identity, and it pushes down the other identities that we have. And they're just, they're just not as important when, we're, when we become children of God. And yet, the second part of this is so, is so crucial. Because, as I said, verse 28 can be really misunderstood if we leave out the second half. And I do feel like a lot of people do that. A lot of people leave it out because they want to make it say what they want it to say. They want all these identities to just disappear and all of us kind of become uniform people. But it says you are one in Christ Jesus. You know, we, we are one. We've been made one family, one people. It wasn't Abraham's seeds. It wasn't Abraham's families. It was singular. Abraham's family. That's what the church is. <clears throat> Sorry. Part of, part of our new identity is, is this oneness. You know, we see, we see each other primarily as children of God, not, not these other markers. And you can think of that like, like the three musketeers. You know, all for one and one for all. That's how it should be. That, that phrase, you know, we all know it from three musketeers, but it's actually the motto of the country of Switzerland. And that's very interesting because Switzerland doesn't get caught up 
in all this disunity and all this fighting. Switzerland is always like a unifier. And that's, that's what we need the church to be right now. We need it to be um, people that come together. We're so quick to divide over culture or politics or race. And we need to be people, as Jesus people, who are unifiers, who can bring people together. And the church should really be leading the way. Because the church, the church proves that people who are different politically, racially, generationally, emotionally, whatever it is, the church proves that we can come together, that we can live, that we can sit down at table together, that people can be unified because we're Jewish and we're Greek and a million other backgrounds, and yet we're one. We're one in Christ. And that oneness, it means that we love each other, that we serve each other, that we're curious about each other, So we're curious about differences of ethnicity or um, male, female, whatever the differences are. So it's not not uniformity. It's not everybody becoming the same, but it's unity. Unity across our differences. And we become unified through that. So it just so happens that one year from today, November 3rd, 2020, does anybody want to guess what's going to happen on November 3rd, 2020? The election. The presidential election is one year from today. Wow, what a coincidence. Paul could just as easily have written, there cannot be Democrat or Republican, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is that, I know I'm not supposed to talk about politics. Is that okay? Is that okay for me to say? You, you, see, what I, you see what I mean? It's, we can't make that our primary identifier. We can't judge somebody because they are a Democrat or a Republican. Because there are everybody across the political spectrum in this room, and yet it's not our primary identity. Yet, through that, through our differences, through the different ways we look at all these issues, we are one. We are one. So can we, can we agree to love our brother and sister with a different political opinion for the next year? Can we agree to do that? Can we, um, you know, just try that out, try that on for size for the next year? Because I don't want to keep bringing it up like every month, you know, how are we doing on that? But to love each other. There cannot be this, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, and you've got to honor that, and you've got to... It's not our primary identity. Our primary identity is child of God, and I will treat you that way. Friends, we've, we've received a new identity, and we are one We are one in Christ Jesus. And that is the most important part of that verse. Because we're not this nebulous one. We're not just one for the sake of being one, but we're one for the sake of Christ Jesus. For what he has done. So when we were... When we were trying to earn our salvation, when we were you know, going to church every week so people would see us, when we were tithing, when we were being available for everyone at every time and trying to earn God's love, who went to the cross for us? 
Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. If you're weary from trying to earn your salvation, Jesus offers himself to you and says, rest in what I've done. I've, we've become one in Christ Jesus. And when we, were, when we were orphans, when we were lost, when we didn't have a foundation to stand on, when we had no identity to depend on, when we were grasping at something that would make us happy, you know, a, a more meaningful job or a new relationship or more money in the bank, when we were grasping at all these things, Jesus went to the cross for us. And he said, take on my identity. Rest in me. You're in Christ Jesus. You belong to him. You are his. Even when we weren't looking for him, Jesus came. And we rest in that identity so that Paul could write, so that Paul could write in verse 7, you're no longer a slave to all those other identities. You're no longer a slave to the next thing but you belong to me. And those are, really, those are really two types of people in our world today. The religious trying to earn their salvation and the rebellious looking for an identity somewhere else. And to all of that, to all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in that, Jesus is calling. He's offering his life for each one of us. He's saying, You don't have to live that life anymore, that old life. But I've made you my son and my daughter. And I've made you one, despite all your differences. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let she who has ears to hear, let her hear. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have truly, you have made us one in Christ Jesus. You've taken away the debt. You've taken, you've delivered us from this old life of being stuck, of being enslaved to our passions, to our desires, to what we want. And you've made us free. Free to live and serve this life of freedom and joy. May we embrace it this week, Lord. May we live into it, our new identity that pushes all the identities to the the side and fulfills all of them. Lord Jesus, may we live lives of gratitude and humility and thankfulness for the great gift of Jesus, that you have made us new, that you have brought, brought us to him. You have made us part of your your family, Lord. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.